Welcome in to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It's Sunday, huh? Sunday? Sunday, April 25th, and this is the 30 Rack Draft Special. The draft coming up Thursday in Cleveland. We're getting you ready. Uh, of course, my name's Greg. I'm the talent around here, or the Mel Kaipa Jr. of the 30 Rack Draft Preview. To my left, on the ones and twos, the Todd McShay to my Mel Kuyper. <laughs> it's Josh. Josh, how excited are you for Thursday in the draft? I'm very excited, and it's here in Ohio, in the in land. Ohio. Such a cool, uh, I wish we could uh, all be there for a big party. Um, but hey, the commissioner can can hug the guys now, and we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna little, break that down a little play bit. Play a little game with that later. But uh, yeah, super special edition draft episode. Yeah, we're breaking down everything from the Cincinnati and the Cleveland side. Uh, some interesting decisions to be made on both sides. Yeah. So a lot to get into. And, uh, you know, if you're watching or if you're listening and you haven't heard another voice, uh, the guy who should be to my right but, uh, you know, doesn't know how to read schedules or calendars, uh, Zach is out for this. Um, we need to get him a planner, a playbook, if you will. A play, a play, but we'll, we'll, we're about to cut him and take away that playbook. <laughs> But uh, he'll be back next week, uh, maybe for the best, because we don't want to hear about the, the Packers draft plans. We well, really don't care. And we got, we'll need help next week, because we're going to have a big, big packed show next week. Oh, yeah. Next week, you know, we're getting out our, uh, you know, we've gotten our soccer show. We're getting our draft show out next week. We're talking about, you know, some of the prospects and where they're going. Need Zach for his Ohio State knowledge, as well as, you know, uh, we got to hit the gauntlet, man. We got to wrap everything up. We yeah, keep doing all these, you know, special episodes. Next week we're returning regular thirty rack episode, hitting the whole whole sports gauntlet. Uh, first month of baseball, which has been very up and down for the Ohio wild. teams. Uh, college basketball transfer portal going wild. Obviously, new coach Wes Miller in Cincinnati getting things together. Uh, you know, MLS things starting. Uh, rough game yesterday for FC Cincinnati. The crew have a big CONCACAF CONCACAF uh, clash coming up and then you know if there's anything else interesting to talk about on either side uh, you know draft trades oh, man, where sure prospects are going. going we'll have something crazy happen by then yeah and uh, I, maybe the Cavs or the Jackets but they haven't really given <laughs> yeah, us a reason we'll to see. talk about them so we'll get into all of that next week uh, but this week we're doing all draft all the time but the one thing that we couldn't skip, Josh, even though we're skipping headlines, skip this part. We're skipping other sports, but we're not skipping a beer. And we've got an interesting one this week, but one that I'm yeah. I'm very excited to try. So we'll get to the beer right now. Let's do it. Oh, beer of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's great. Alrighty, Josh, for uh, our beer of the week, uh, we're back on our bullshit. We're drinking IPAs again, but once again, we're we're drinking something a, a little bit different. We are drinking um, a double IPA. It's actually Everybody Wants Some. Uh, it is a double IPA brewed with Nelson Sauvin Hops from Hoofhearted Brewing. And if you are not familiar with Hoofhearted Brewing, uh, they do have a taproom and kitchen in, uh, in Columbus, but they're actually based in marengo ohio and i gave you as someone who worked up in that area for a while i actually had to drive through uh very quickly the city of marengo on my way to work because it's uh there's a route 229 where you basically 
turn left real quick, go two blocks, turn right again, go another two blocks, and then you're out of that. You're out of Marengo. One, one horse town. Oh, it might even be a half horse Key town. Key Largo, Marengo. Uh, I see they're dabbling in the dank and dark arts. Uh, it's very dank. I, this is a double IPA, and uh, it is... 8%. 8% in the morning, Greg. And, uh, you know, big episode, big draft day, so we'll need this big guy. But you'll notice, like, right off the bat, the color of this beer. You get this uh, very New England IPA style. Yeah. You get, like, that hazy orange color. Yeah, and it's very, and it's a very pale. That's why you'll really notice kind of that pineapple and very dank flavor it has. It's very, very pale. Here's a real question. Do you taste any slight notes of grape in there? I do, I do. So, for those Elaborate of you that aren't familiar, as uh, as I mentioned, it is a double IPA with mm. Nelson Sauvin hops, and I had never heard about these kind of hops. They're specifically bringing up these kind of hops, so I'm like, who is Nelson? Why is he bringing up these hops? I'm not really sure. It is a hop that was created in the year 2000. Okay, it's from New Zealand, and uh, BrewDudes.com describes it. I think this is. The most unusual descriptions I've ever seen for a hop variety. It imparts a grape-like flavor to beers, defined as a cool climate white wine grape flavors. Other descriptions include extreme fruitiness, passion fruit, and fresh crushed gooseberries. So it says it's usually... Gooseberries? Yeah, I have no idea. Berries of a goose? Apparently gooses have berries. Wow. I'm learning a lot of things. It says there's no substitute for it. It's unique flavor, but it says it's... It uh, pairs nice with American citrusy hops when used as a bittering hop. So, of course, perfect space to do it. Double IPA. You need the bitterness, but also it kind of has that New England IPA style to it where it's yeah. a little bit more citrusy. Once again, instead of the kind of the dark color, you get that like... The only way I can really describe the color of a New England IPA is it's it's either like a very cloudy wheat or like a very cloudy like orange juice color. Yeah, and this almost yeah almost pours like it's going to be kind of a tropical or New England IPA, but it's it's kind of not. It's kind no. of in between all that. Yeah. And what's what's really interesting about this IPA that I think sets it apart from a lot of the oversaturated IPA market that you have right now is that this is just a single. That's the only hop in it. It's just that hop. It's a huh. single hop, double IPA. Yeah, usually you get, you know, I mean, we've mentioned it on some of our other beers. You get the two or the three hops. Yeah, everyone's all about creating that that hop profile and getting that, like, complex hop character. But it says a lot about this Nelson, Nelson Sauvin hop that it's just, it does all this on its own, just as a single hop. The, the other thing that, you know, you kind of notice about it is, you know, once again, we've we've done a number of these shows, so we've had quite a few yeah. quite a few beers. I mean, fifty plus beers, you know, plus all the beers we've had on our own. Yeah, um, you see a certain kind of beer, and you you expect the taste. And you know, we're going we we try to go off the beaten path a little bit. You know, not not drink the same kind of beers, but you see it, and you see double IPA, and you expect it to be a little bit darker, and then you get the New England style, and you're like, all right, it's going to be a little bit more citrusy, but you don't get that full citrus flavor. Like I said, you get like that like right. great passion fruit flavor, right. which is very interesting. I mean, it's just, it's refreshing because it's something different. You know what I mean? It's, it's something not, very it's different, not, yeah. 
we're trying to make our own New England IPA or we're trying to throw in like a slight mix to it. It's it's a completely different flavor. And as I look at this more, and we'll we'll get to this in the reciting of the can, I, I it, we kind of picked it up because it was a double IPA, but it just, you know, the pancakes on the front jamming out kind of had a uh, uniqueness to them. And I think that's what this beer does best is it is a IPA that is very different from all the other IPAs out there. Yeah, once again, it's from it's from a, another one of those breweries that's just in a small town. I mean, you know, like we've had Bully Pig from Fresno, yep. Ohio. We're in Marengo, Ohio. I mean, if there's good beer in Ohio... Uh, anywhere. If, well, if there's small breweries anywhere in Ohio, one, you're almost assured that it's going to be, you know, good beer. And two, you're going to be almost assured that 30 Rack is going to find it and try it on this show. So... We'll be enjoying uh, Everybody Wants Some, their double IPA from Hoofhearted Brewing in Marengo, Ohio, as we go through this draft preview. Everybody wants some picks, Greg. Everybody wants some picks. Everybody wants some picks, and we're actually going to pass Marengo as we start in Cincinnati and move our way up to Cleveland. But first, we're actually going to start with a couple quick sips in Cleveland talking about the draft day experience itself. All right, Josh, we're starting with the draft here for our quick sips. As we mentioned, the draft is back in the home of football in Ohio. Home of football, where it all started. Where it all started. Not quite Canton, but uh, we're moving up to Cleveland for this uh, for this draft. And I mean, you know, a little bit of a different draft, obviously, with the with the pandemic still going on. Nice to see a draft, you know, have the theater. Yeah. We'll have some fans there. Uh, we'll get into, um, you know, kind of some of the stuff to do here in a second. But uh, we want to start in the draft theater. So, of course, uh, we don't get to see Roger Goodell's basement this year. Don't shame. get to see him lounging Such in his shame. favorite chair. But uh, you do have the draft theater, which is taking place uh, right on Lake Erie, just kind of uh, northeast of First Energy Stadium. So in the draft theater, you will have Roger Goodell. You will have, I believe it's around 8 to 10 prospects. And according to uh, the NFL, Roger Goodell fully vaccinated, so will be allowed to hug prospects this oh, year. Oh, wow. Wow. So that uh, that brings up our first question. Wow. Hug or handshake? Uh, Josh, if you're, a, if you're one of these prospects, you know, Zach Wilson, uh, some, some of these other high-ranking guys coming through, you're going in for the old uh, two-handed bear hug with uh, with uh, old Raj. You maybe doing a handshake, maybe a quick little like fist bump. What, what are we looking at here? With 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 Raj, uh, you know, I, I think I'd do the fist bump. You know, I think he'd have like very uh, very big meaty claws, if you will, and I, I think I'd just rather do the fist bump right now. Even though we're both fully vaxxed people, I don't know. I don't know. He just. Wouldn't want to sh- shake hands with that uh, slime, slimy guy, or get a hug from him, really. But, but if we're talking like Trevor Lawrence, if I was the commissioner, and you know I had Lawrence not going to be there, but yeah, there are a couple quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Lance, Mac Jones, yeah, Mac Zach Jones Wilson, is going to be there. Who could be you know number two. Mac Jones, you know, Alabama guy has a very firm handshake. You got to do the handshake for that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, I think um, I think the one way I would want to do a hug. Is uh you know there are a couple there are a couple of the the big boys in there you know uh, uh offensive linemen who 
you know, projects at a few different positions. Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, D lineman Christian uh, Barmore from Alabama, Gregory Rousseau is an edge. If you, if one of those guys get picked, you do the whole like pick him up hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But aside of that, I mean, I think you just do the the nice handshake. Maybe the like quick handshake hug. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you kind of do the like uh, yeah the handshake for the uh, the picture and everything, and then as you leave, you kind of execute like, uh, yeah. like an exit quick hug kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would agree there. Let us know if you're if you're Mac Jones, Jamar Chase, you know Kyle Pitts. What what are you doing there? How are you executing these uh, these kind of these these plays, if you will? Speaking of execution, and not in the killing way, but in say. the executing a play. Sam Darnold's not that bad. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, completing a play or, or maybe showing off your skills. Uh, you know, as, as has been mentioned, you know, with limited capacity at the draft, uh, they have some other ways to kind of get involved. Uh, you know, you can only be in the draft theater if you're, if you're fully vaccinated, but there are some other places you can be you know there's you can watch the draft from first energy stadium you know there are some other things you can do around the um around the stadium you know in cleveland some concerts some stuff at the rock and roll hall of fame but on first energy stadium's field there are a couple things you can do one of Ooh. them being the field goal kick Ooh, kicking into the dog pound end zone you fans will have Brutal. a chance to kick field goals so the question is, the last time fans were allowed to kick field goals on a big stage was uh, a Chicago bar after a certain double-doinked field goal by the now kicker of the Cleveland Browns, Cody Parkey. Uh, fans in Chicago were allowed to try to kick a 43-yard field goal, once again off like a slippery piece of turf on the street in Chicago, so none of them made it. But here on an actual football field, Looking at, you know, decent conditions for Thursday. Maybe a little wet, but decent conditions. The question is, Josh, do you think you could uh, knock through a 43-yarder? Maybe maybe get a tryout somewhere. Maybe uh, be in that, uh, you know, Fat Randy, Austin Seibert competition for the, for the Bengals kicking job. Yeah, I don't, I think I'd be more in the Fat Randy, Cody Parkey area. I don't know if I could be, you know, uh, Shane Golden Graham kind of level or uh neil rackers yeah yeah i don't know if i could do that that much um but i think i could get in there in that fat randy range you know kind of have like a six for ten on the 35 to 40 yard range i don't know though like probably then on on this special day i i think i could do it but if i had to go out there facing the dog pound mid-december on the lake that hurt. I thought I'm pretty sure I'd hurt myself. What about you? <laughs> Maybe if I had a couple of these uh, hoof-hearteds in me, I could do it. But I think the one thing that people forget is just how damn hard it is to kick. So hard. You can't get the ball up in the air. You got to really get over the ball. You're probably not going to be wearing like, you know, the correct footwear for it. Probably just tennis shoes. You're probably gonna like break a toe when you try to do it. I would say no. Maybe. Maybe an extra point if I got like really good leg on it and maybe a little bit of wind behind me, but I don't think forty three is in the is in the cards. Yeah, I, I do. You, I don't. I don't think it can be overstated how much that can hurt. <laughs> Just like kicking a field goal, you know, you down on like Nippert when you back and you see 
you always see kids out there trying to kick the field goal. I remember watching one guy. I mean, it was mid-December, cold as hell out. He went for a 30-yard field goal, barefoot, drunk as hell, you know, barefoot. And I think he ended up going to the hospital because he broke his foot or something. I mean, those balls are hard, especially if you're up in Cleveland on the lake like that. It's tough. I, I Into the dog pound. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember growing up and we had, you know, peewee middle school football and whatnot. You'd have the day where, where you figure out who's the kicker going right. to be. So the entire team goes through and tries to kick. And these are like, you know. High school extra points, you, it's like a 20-yard field goal, and it's just line drive after yeah. line drive after ground ball. Occasionally, someone just gets it up in the air, and it goes about five feet and comes back down. So I can't overstate how difficult it is, especially with the wind in the dog pound. Yeah. Some of these places, difficult to kick. But if, hey, if you're, if you've got a big leg, big kicker, Maybe head up to Cleveland, head up to the field, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you get your name called in the seventh round. I may send us a video. I want to see someone uh, smash a beer and kick, a f- kick, kick one over their house or something. Just don't, don't, don't break anything. <laughs> oh, man. If we could find a place where the 30-rack crew could smash a beer and try to kick like a, like a college extra point, I'd be down for that. Uh, yeah, it we would could, be we some could try great it. content, but some awful field goal yep. kicking. Yep. That part, I'm sure, from wannabe prospects and us though to the real prospects we're heading from cleveland we're going to take a quick pit stop down in cincinnati and we're going to talk about what the Bengals are going to do at five and in this draft so we're going to be grilling josh a little bit figuring out where do the Bengals go from here So we move into our big chug, Josh. We are talking draft, as we mentioned. We're starting off with the Bengals. The Bengals uh, hold the number five pick in the draft. And uh, we'll get to that, you know, obviously uh, a number of picks, I believe uh, seven or eight picks in the draft. So a number of uh, picks to get better. But the first question we have is, is where are these needs for the Bengals? You know, a team that we think has finally gotten the quarterback, you know, uh, spot secured up with, um, you know, with Joe Burrow, but where are their needs? Cause obviously not drafting first is nice, but drafting fifth, obviously still a long way to go. Yeah. Still plenty of benefits. And there's a, there was some talk of maybe trading back and that could still, that could still happen. But with a couple of the recent transactions uh, in the league, such as Sam Darnold going to the Panthers, little bit less likely now and that doesn't change your needs really the only need that's changed or kind of increased in recent weeks for the Bengals is the need for a running back after they cut Giovanni Bernard now you kind of really only have uh Joe Mixon and uh Pirine back there you'd like to have another kind of pass blocking running back but that's more of a guy you know, you take that later on as a development piece. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, you got Mixon in the third round, and you've seen it yeah. in recent years. The, you know, the plus, especially taking a top 10 running back versus finding, you know, Camaro was a fourth round pick. You got Philip Lindsay late in the draft. I mean, even, you know, Mixon, Nick Chubb, they were both even second round picks. So right. you can definitely find usable running backs, especially in that, you know, kind of third down plat- pass blocking uh, area. But speaking of pass blocking or, or blocking in general, yeah. of course so, they have the offensive line. Uh, 
did have he was a draft pick from two years ago, but basically last year was his rookie year in left tackle Jonah Williams. Uh lost lost, I'll say this in quotes, Bobby Hart. Uh did pick up Riley Reef from uh Minnesota. But uh would you say offensive line still still potentially some work to be done? Yes. Whether it's first round or later. Working your way up the hierarchy, you kinda have your developmental pieces, the running back, you could use a defensive lineman in there as well and then most of all the offensive lineman and local media i feel like has really increased the talks on not taking an offensive lineman first and and let's not let's not pretend that there aren't other offensive linemen that would be great fits in the second round that you could take but greg i get it all the time from people i i have a slight resemblance to Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. So let me let me just say this once, wearing the jersey, so folks can have this, the closest thing they can of their quarterback saying this. Draft protection. Build your organization from the front. An organization with no anchor, Greg, is nothing. I mean, I kind of made the analogy yesterday in the FC Cincinnati game. You can draft all these flashy star players that you want, but if you don't get them the ball, if they aren't, if your team isn't anchored from the back or from the line, they're not going to make any flashy plays. Yeah, and we'll get to that that big conversation point just in a second here. So you know, offensive lineman very big. Uh, we'll get to also the wide receiver, but I think the the last thing that we talk about before we go into the you know the big decision. Uh, how do you feel about the, the Bengals' defensive line? I know you mentioned it as a need. Uh, obviously lost kind of their three stalwarts of that, that Bengals' defensive line that was, you know, feared for a while when they were playing, had gotten a little bit older. Uh, you know, Dunlop was traded. Uh, Geno Atkins left. Carl Lawson left. Have added some nice pieces. Uh, you know, Trey Hendrickson, solid place, solid piece. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi from the Browns, yeah. a guy that I really, really enjoyed, loved his work ethic, you know, guy yeah. out of Charlotte. Um, but potentially some more depth there needed. Yeah, definitely more. You definitely have capable guys there still. My best to Atkins or, um, yeah, Atkins and Dunlop will be missed. Um, but you got to think about the division that they're in as well. I mean, the one thing that I think the Bengals lack the most on their defensive line right now is a good edge rusher. You've got DJ Reader in there as well, and he's a good, you know, big presence in there on the interior and everything, but you don't really have a good edge guy right now. And so that's what I think their biggest need is on defensive line because when you look at the division, you've got to be able to stop these multi-talented backfields. Yeah, you, across, you have to you across have to, your division. You have to stop the guys from getting up the middle, which they've right. you know they've added some people in Ogunjobi and and Reader, but also stop these guys from getting to the outside. Because I mean, obviously, the first person that comes to your head is you know that uh, that talented backfield in uh, in Baltimore. You yeah. have you know you have to stop that read option that Lamar Jackson has, but also you know uh, as someone that you know seen it, Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland with that very talented backfield um you know a lot of stretch runs with with like nick chubb uh you know end around getting the ball to their playmakers and you know obj or landry so it's certainly something where you have to be able to set the edge you know set the edge whether it's with a defensive end 
or a linebacker or something. And you yeah, know, there's I mean, kind you've of got some, some you've kind there. of got like a triple threat backfield on both the Ravens and the Browns. And then the Steelers love to do those those jet sweeps and end arounds and bring their receivers in through the backfield. Yeah, and they've got some shifty guys, you know, Claypool, yeah. uh, Smith Schuster's back. I'm like, yeah, oh. could be getting another shifty guy with their draft pick, but you've got to be able, you know, you're playing these teams twice. You've got to be able to have penetration off the edge. And the Bengals, while well, they've sh- they've got plenty of capable guys, I think, on the interior, got to shore up that uh, edge rushing. So now I think we come to the to the big question. Uh, we'll we'll get to the you know the last need that we have here. I think uh, you know obviously. Uh, we mentioned offensive line being being an issue. Um, wide receiver, kind of a depth issue. You know, did lose AJ Green. So outside of you know T Higgins and uh, and Boyd, you know, you have on Tate. Not really a whole lot of depth there. So the biggest question that you have is, you know, you're expecting a couple quarterbacks to be taken early. Kyle Pitts to probably be off the board. So right now the big the big Cincinnati question at five is uh Pinai Sewell out of uh Oregon. He was a, you know, he's been described as a can't miss offensive tackle, very highly rated. Did sit out last year due to, you know, the the COVID season. Um, but has been, you know, a very decorated offensive lineman when he was playing for Oregon. Or you have the wide receiver in Jamar Chase, uh also a guy I don't believe played last year, but uh, you know, a playmaking Guy on the outside, uh, wide receiver. Also a guy that Burrow knows very well, Jamar Chase, out of LSU, where, you know, won a national title with Joe Burrow. So a familiar target and a guy that he's comfortable with. So the big question comes, Josh, are you on Team Sewell or Team Team Chase? I did a, I you know, I've done a lot of thinking on this, and I did a lot of research on it this week, and then, because I flip-flopped back and forth a couple times now and i i think i submit this as my final answer that chase isn't going to matter if you don't have protection you know all the hits that burrow took last year setting records single game records for hits single game records for sacks and then nearly breaking some and i think he did break some um uh season records uh and he didn't even play the full season I mean, this guy took as many hits as Andy Dalton did, I think, in Dalton's last season in, I think, seven games span, you know? Um, and the thing that convinced me the most on this is I'm going to read the quote before I say who it is, because if I say who it is, Bengals fans will get all in a, in a tizzy in a tizzy or something. But this is a quote I read recently on this whole situation. It says, I really hope they take the tackle. I really, really hope they protect Joe. He's proven to that organization that he can carry the load. He doesn't need a ton of weapons around him. He needs to be able to step into throws. He needs to be able to drop back with confidence that he can get his second read and a third read if he needs it. I keep going back in my head to the Andrew Luck saga, where they didn't continuously support the offensive line, and they did not build that organization up from the front end quote uh so can i take one guess at who it is take take a guess at who said that is that former Bengals coach marvin lewis <laughs> no no oh. former Bengals browns coordinator hugh jackson no <laughs> i'm kidding 
It's the the guy who said that. I was about guy. to jump on Team Chase if you would have said that. <laughs> the guy who said that quote is the guy that wore this number nine jersey before Joe Burrow did. That is former Bengals quarterback Carson Palmer on the Rich Eisen show. I was in I was in the I was in the right. Uh, yeah, you were in the right right, group. right okay. realm there. Okay, but he brings up such a good point. Look at Andrew Luck. Really like intelligent, high football IQ guy, extremely talented guy that just constantly played behind nothing. And look what had that happen. Like he basically had to make the decision, do I keep walking out there behind this organization? Lacerated kidney, you know. Yeah, you look at all the stuff that, yeah, I mean, he just got torn up behind the lack of protection that that organization refused to give him. And you really don't want to see a guy like that have to do that again because the organization refuses to protect their investment. The one other thing that I would want to just chime in on this is someone that has dealt with a ton of quarterbacks, a ton of different situations, obviously, as a Cleveland fan. But if anyone has been a longtime listener of this show, remembers how, how high I was on the Browns in 2019, the Freddie Kitchens era. Now, of course, Kitchens wasn't the coach I thought he was. The Browns weren't the team I thought they were. But one of the big issues was they had every single, they had all of the weapons. But they had Greg Robinson, who's no longer in the league at right tackle. They had Chris Hubbard, who's a decent fill-in at, at uh, right tackle, but, you know, is not great. They had some questions in their interior offensive line. So they were a 6-10 and team. Last year, you know, they added some help at tight end, you know, some better blockers. Also drafted Jedrick Wills, got the best right tackle in the league, you know, at least up to that point. And he was very good last year in Jack Coughlin. Uh, obviously having Wyatt Teller, you know, kind of pop out of nowhere at the, at the left guard spot was very nice. But they turned into an offense that could move up and down the field. And right. even when they lost their top target, and a lot of people say, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, you right, know Beckham yeah, was bad yeah. for the offense. But really it was... They were meshing as an offense. Obviously, having a better offensive mind in, in Stepanski helps, but also Baker just had more time to throw. And Baker was one of those guys that was best off the play action. And right. Burrow, you know, not quite the same quarterback, but he's a guy that can make stuff happen with time. And the thing is, even if there's less talent, and you saw it, you know, at times with Baker, you know, when they had their entire wide receiver core, yeah. you know, decimated by COVID 19, they had some. Times where he just had to make plays to, you know, Damian Ratley and, you know, Derek Willies and guys you've never heard of because he has time. Yeah, since he had time, he could make those plays. If you don't have time to throw, then it doesn't matter if Jamar Chase can get open down the field. He'll be hit before he can even look for him. Right. Or he'll have to get out of the pocket and throw to a third down running back, which you guys don't have and, either. Well, and everyone says, yeah, everyone's like, oh, well, Jamar Chase, you know, he gets ex- excellent separation and everything, and he's got sure hands. And it's like, that's great and everything, but I don't want to see him doing that for a five-yard gain on third down, and then we go punt. Yeah, Because we say, had two seconds. He doesn't have that time to run the route. Yeah, everything. I was going to say, if he's, if he's running the routes that you want him to run, they're 15, you know, plus yard posts where he'll need three or four seconds in the pocket. The thing is, the real question is, you know, kind of as a Bengals fan, is do you want a flashy piece that can maybe bump you up quickly or do you want to build it, you know, solidly from the inside where it's like, yes, Andrew Luck could make those plays, but it took the toll where they couldn't make that extra step when they had fixed everything. If you fix the front line, 
It's not like get he better, doesn't have and then, weapons now. And then I was going to say, and then you can get to the point where it's like, we don't have, you know, our offensive line's ready to go. Burrow's healthy. We can add a playmaker, whether it's, yeah. you know, trade, free agency, draft right. down the line, or, you know, a guy in a later round. Like, they got T. Higgins in the second round last year. Right. And it's, and it's like, let's pump the brakes, you know? Like, it's not like we're shooting for the Super Bowl this year, you know? You know, let's develop a little bit more, and we can wrap this up. I'll go through my mock draft real quick, but yeah, I got you got to take Sewell at first, first pick. You know, for all the reasons we just talked about. My last question, just before we get to the mock draft, and uh, I, you know, I think right now we're both on Sewell, especially you know some questions about Williams last year. Obviously, coming back after yeah. a year off, maybe move him to right tackle, but. I've seen some mock drafts, and it's not out of the realm of possibilities. You're expecting Lawrence 1, Wilson 2 to the Jets. Sometimes you see, you know, San Francisco traded up. Maybe they'll take a quarterback. Maybe they take Lance or something to sit back. At that point, teams worry, or, you know, we're worried about Matt Ryan for the future. Maybe another quarterback gets taken at 4. At that point, you're sitting at 5. Obviously, you also have a trade possibility here, so, yeah. so you can mention that. But you, because we've mentioned the Bengals don't need a quarterback, you have every player that's not a quarterback available, and that includes you know the game-breaking tight end in Kyle Pitts, who has a couple issues blocking, you know, keeping on blocks strength-wise, but is an absolute game-breaker at tight end. If you have Pitts, Sewell, Chase on the board, what, who are you taking one, two, three there? Sewell. Still right, taking I'm, Sewell. And, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, is that I do think that there is a strong possibility that a trade situation does happen and that teams behind us get a little bit worried, specifically maybe the Broncos. Um, but if that happens, that you don't need to take Jamar Chase. Terrace Marshall Jr. is a plenty capable wide receiver. He doesn't necessarily have the, I mean, he doesn't have as sure of hands as Jamar Chase. You know, Jamar Chase is a, I would say, top 10 prospect, top 15 at least in this in this draft. Terrace Marshall Jr. I think is a step down from that, but an excellent route runner, still played with Joe Burrow, wide receiver from LSU, and if you get into a situation where you get that trade and have two picks in the second round, then you could just take Terrace Marshall late in the second round. And honestly... You get the same thing that you want, just not as flashy of a guy. And honestly, if you want to do the thing where, you know, if you trade down, you know, obviously depending on how far you trade down, if Sewell's not there, there's still a lot of... There's yeah. a Heisman winning, you know, wide receiver. And if it's like, yeah, that too. hey, we want to take an offensive tackle, and maybe we'll have, you know, an extra first-round pick, or depending on how far they drop, two first-round picks coming up at some point. right. And that's the thing. Yeah, you could also get two first-round picks next year, and it's not like there aren't going to be like, offensive linemen and wide receivers are a little bit in the same there. You know, they'll be they'll be there next year as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, every every year there's one kind of down position, and like this year, you kind of look from the edge rusher. You know, yeah. there's not really a top ten prospect, and we'll get we'll get to Quiddy Payne. Trust me, but um, you know, there there are a lot of questions there, but. There are usually guys you can find one in the second round if you get an extra second round pick or two, you know, later in the draft. But uh, now let's get, you know, we'll get to the mock draft. Um, 
So basically what you can do, uh, you know, Josh and I play in GM for our teams uh, on pro football focus. What you can kind of do is a, uh, is a mock draft where you take control of your team. Uh, you can make trades. I don't believe any of us made trades. You know, we just kind of stuck it out as, as we're doing a normal draft and did the, the full seven round picks. So uh, Josh in your, in your Bengals mock draft, who are you uh, ending up with? Do you get Sewell in the first round? So yeah, I got Sewell in the first round and I, and I do have in this mock draft, uh, if there was going to be the trade happening. Okay. So I have Sewell in the first round, and then in the second round, I have another offensive lineman, an interior offensive lineman from Alabama, Alex Leatherwood. Um, and the reason I want to take at least two offensive linemen in this draft is because, you know, everyone says, oh, we don't need another offensive lineman because we just got Reef from Minnesota. Reef's a veteran, though, and really only here on a one-year deal, I believe. So... Right now is the time to get those young guys in there to develop the line with a veteran presence on the line. That's especially that's like, how you do it. Like, you look at, I mean, that's how you develop those young guys. You look at the Browns; they had a guy like uh, Nick Harris. You know, and at, at, during the Chiefs game, they were basically running all back, you know, backups. But they got Nick Harris in the fifth round or fourth or fifth round. He was a mauler. He was a guy that had to play, you know, some games for Treader. Teller was hurt, and then you also had a veteran in Chris Hubbard who, you know, struggled as a starter, but was a guy that could play, you know, I believe Reef can also play guard, yeah. you know, tackle or guard on either side and having depth because guess what? It was the- if, you've, if you've ever watched linemen play, one will probably get hurt or at least miss some snaps and you need, a, you need depth there. Well, you and need that's what I'm saying. an extra guy that can play guard or tackle. You had three starters in that interior lineman that – just got shredded up last year and destroyed Burrow. The interior rush could not get handled at all. And those three starters that you have in the middle now of the offensive line already kind of inconsistent inconsistent and injury prone. And there isn't one of those players that is signed past the year 2022. So you find your day one starter in Penny Sewell. Leatherwood has the capability to be a starter. Oh, or Leather, get I mean, Leatherwood's a solid yeah, guy. I mean, and also a guy that can, you know... Also challenge some of because you know you've had your uh, you know Mike Jordans and whatnot. Yeah, Billy Price is kind of a backup, in there but a guy that can push them. Right, yeah. exactly. And you get that kind of core in there with Reef in there as well. And then next year you've got two guys that have a solid year of experience under them, ready to go. And you that's where you build from. So, like I said. I've got a trade in there happening, and you take Terrace Marshall Jr. at wide receiver with that trade in the second round. Then in the third round, like you brought up, Greg, there's not a lot of edge rushers out there. So you want to jump on it as quick as you can. At this point, though, in the third round, I think that Peyton Turner um, from Houston will be in there. Um, And like I said, you got to get an edge rusher to deal with the AFC North. Turner would be a great, he's quick, long-legged, he's got a huge wingspan, and you need a kind of quick, more agile guy to be that rush, that edge presence that complements the big interior presence of a DJ Reader or Sam Hubbard. So another guy you could see there, uh, Rashad Weaver, a rush from Pitt um, in there, but it's going to, edge is going to be tough because there is really slim pickings there. Yep. Um, fourth round, if the trade doesn't happen, you need to get a wide receiver here. I think in the fourth or fifth round, like I said, I had the trade happening. So I have Kendrick green offensive lineman from Illinois. 
this is where you start to get more into the developmental players. Green provides, you know, a good slate to work with. Very healthy guy, very durable, very durable, excuse me. He's also played on both sides of the ball at Illinois. And then after switching to offensive line, he uh, got on Big Ten first team. That was in his junior year. He's able to play center and guard. So this is kind of that, aside from Leatherwood and Sewell, this is your kind of supplemental, really developmental guy. Maybe gets a couple snaps in there, but Green is the kind of guy you take to develop, then put him in to the more starting offensive lineman rotation next year, and you have those three guys as your new offensive line to start with, as well as Jonah Williams, as well as Reef this year. That gives you depth and a good slate to work with. Aside from that, though, in round five, I've had them taking Chris Evans, running back from Michigan. Hasn't played a lot of football the past two years, but and kind of lacks the more, you know, athletic left to right juke movements. But he's got that wider build. He's played a lot of different roles on the field before. So he has that willingness to learn. They just let go of Gio Bernard, so they need to start developing another kind of backup, third down, fourth down back that can protect Burrow. Sixth round, I have Avery Williams. He's a cornerback from Boise State. Not really an immediate starter on defense, but and not really a starter on defense at all. He's pretty small for a cornerback. But this guy is a stud gadget guy. He's like a super Bengals fans kind of think of him as a super version of Clay Fedulum or Alex Erickson. Uh, he was the senior captain at Boise State, first-team cornerback, first-team punt returner, and first-team kick returner specializes as a gadget player that can do both sides of the ball, has multiple games with big returns and a blocked punt or kick. So guy can kind of do it all. You need a little bit of depth in your secondary. He can provide that while also kind of being, you know, an added spark on a lackluster special teams. Finally, in the seventh round, I have Marlon Tuipoluto um, for a defensive tackle from USC. Again, just adding adding more depth to that uh, defensive line. And this is kind of an interior project. He has great size, great agility, has always been healthy, but he just needs kind of, you know, more of an NFL-worthy arsenal of tools, some NFL coaching, maybe in a couple of years, able to really add some significant depth to that de uh, defensive interior. But, Greg, that's my uh, mock draft. That's what I think the Bengals' needs are, uh, you know, I wouldn't get too worried about it, the Sewell or Chase thing. Whoever they pick, both of them are really talented football players, and I think you're going to be able to, win with your first two to three picks, get what you need. Yeah, so... Let's not take some tight end in the third or second round, though. Heavy, heavy, on, the, um, heavy on the offensive line, a couple of weapons, and, you know... Uh, Evans and you know some some wide receivers and then uh, fixing the interior defensive line seems like a a start for the Bengals. Uh, let us know. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a pull up for it. Uh, Chase or Sewell, as long as both of them are there. Who are you taking as far as uh, the Bengals are going? So um, that's it for draft prep in Cincinnati. We're gonna take a quick stop back in Marengo, Ohio, to uh, do the reciting of the can, and then we'll head up to Cleveland to talk about the the Browns draft needs which believe it or not not so is needy. not a quarterback
And he's got me Vuelto Loco, amigos. Everybody Wants Some is a rotating single hop double IPA. It's the only acceptable response to the call of DLR era Van Halen plus 80 cult classic movies. 80s cult classic movies. A giant teddy bear bigger than you. Sounds great. No, it really does sound good. But look, Beth, I gotta go. The Christmas tree is on fire. So many references. So many references. So many references. Um, as they mentioned, the 80s cult classic, the last part uh, from uh, 1985 film Better Off Dead. So uh, a lot of interesting um, niche references in there. Like I said, DLR era Van Halen plus 80s cult classic movies. So you can see where they're coming from with that. Uh, taking a look at the can, uh, it's something that definitely catches your eye. It's a yellow can with, um, I still can't decide. Are these pancakes? I, okay, some- so here's the story behind this. is I picked this up at the wonderful establishment that we've mentioned on the show before, the Del High Liquor Store over in Del High Township. And um, we were kind of just, they've got a great Ohio beer selection there. And shout out to Hoofhearted because they got this. This was canned on uh, March 2nd, and I think I got this like a week, that that very same week. So you guys are pushing it, man. They're pushing it out there from Marengo. But uh, yeah, we kind of were looking at all, you know, cans, what stands out and everything, what's different. And <laughs> my girlfriend Greta thought it was like a pancake beer. And so she picked this out, and I was like, yeah, I guess they are pancakes. I don't think it's pancake beer, but... You know, and I just now noticed that the one guitar is, yeah, Eddie Van Halen's guitar, and then the other guitar is just a uh, bottle of Jack Daniels. I don't know what else they could be. I guess they're they're certainly not hops. Yeah, they're not hops. They're like circular discs. I don't know. They almost look like, yeah, they're some sort of circular discs. I have no idea what they could be. I'm going to assume they're a type of hot cake of some sort. I'd assume so. They're basically trying to be their Van Halen... Uh, era they got the drummer in the back but yeah. uh very solid can uh as we mentioned the reciting of the can from uh Hufforded brewing's website a uh, lot of references so trying to be a very different beer uh they got their logo on the side it's just a red circle with with Hufforded brewing in their uh you know just written in their in their own font but very loud different can for kind of a loud different beer josh yeah, like I said earlier in the show, I think this what this beer does best is be different. It's it's a double IPA, which there's a lot of them out there, but this one I just think hits the mark so well on being so different from the rest. Really breaks the mold in both, you know, marketing, brand, can design and of course the beer itself. Yeah, I mean, you get that bitterness at the end that you get from a, a from a IPA, but it's not overwhelming like you might get from some heavier, you know, double IPAs. But we kind of mentioned it. Uh, I believe it was during a break between, um, uh, you know, between different parts of the show. But uh, it's got almost that like white wine oh, yeah. grape yeah. beginning to it. Yeah, we said yeah, kind of like up front. Like if you're into like a white wines, especially your fruitier, really grape heavy white wines. Yeah, that grape like passion fruity part. It doesn't yeah. have the full like dryness or sweetness of a wine, but you just get like that that, that kind flavor. of spritzy flavor flavor yeah. up. Yeah, if you can separate that flavor from the wine flavor, it it has it. It's it's kind of a a mind jumble when it comes to the flavor palette, but it, I think it's yeah. really good. 
Yeah, like most people, like I'm I not think saying if you're, it's bad. I'm just it's so like different. Like if Zach that... was here, like Zach is such a very like big traditional IPA guy. I think if you're looking at this and you're like, oh, double IPA brewed with Nelson Savant hops, you're like, oh, fancy hops, double IPA. This is going to be like a great hoppy IPA, but it's really, it's, it's not, not. It's not. It's got the it's I mean, great it's got IPA. That, but... Yeah, it's got that bitterness at the end. Who knows what he'd think about it? But as far as a beer that's different but is so interesting. You know, it's, it's one of those beers that we've had. We've had a couple of them that, you know, have the cayenne and stuff like that, where it takes you, you know, you can have five sips of it and taste something different every time. But it's really good, too. It's also, yeah. you know, it's not, I mean, it's 8%, but it doesn't taste like it. It's a great beer. If you want to, I mean, if you want to try it, it comes in these, you know, 16-ounce uh, cans. Four-packer. It's just such an interesting flavor palette, but it's not one of those things where you're, jumping off to like crazy weird flavors yeah you know it's not like like the cayenne blonde or like the oreo pastry that we had right. last time yeah. which are some some very far out flavors both were very good but this one's just a little bit different and just confuses your palate yeah a little it's bit. traditional but but you know enough unique complexities about it that makes it non-traditional but yeah, shout out to Hoofhearted. This one's a very cool beer. Well, speaking of unique complexities, uh, the Browns have <laughs> a unique situation here, and maybe a little bit complex <laughs> as they uh, as they look late in the first round, which is a weird spot for the Browns to be picking, especially their first pick. But yeah. uh, as they look to be trying to improve on a roster that got their first playoff win in almost 20 years. So we'll move up to Cleveland and... Uh, Josh will ask me about my Cleveland Browns here in just a second. All right, we're 30 Rack of Sports. This is our big chug. Shout out to everybody up in Cleveland enjoying the NFL Draft 2021 this week, starting on Thursday. I've got uh, an interesting tidbit for you folks up in Cleveland that uh, you can do a little crossover brewery stuff here this week. Really cool project. We'll talk about that in a couple moments. But Greg, how's it feel, man, to go into an NFL draft and be like, you know what? We could actually like make some long-term investments here and some development pieces. We don't need to go crazy trying to draft a quarterback in the first round, trying to draft all these play guys that we need starters. Yeah, we need day one guys yeah. in these positions. Cleveland Browns are coming off their first playoff win in years. Organization, front office, everyone's great and comfortable. Everyone's happy. You're hosting in the draft. I mean, what's 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 this like for you? You know what? It's weird. The, the one year that we get to host the draft, it's not something that, you know, people could be booed off stage because they <laughs> pick the quarterback right. that we don't want or, you know, we have a need right now for an edge rusher or, you know, a tackle like last year or, or a big playmaker. We have a lot of those things. And I think it's interesting to find needs at depth or needs to kind of have some healthy competition at some places. But it's, it's a weird situation where it's like, you know, in past years I go through needs and it's like, yep, those are our two big needs. And it's, it's kind of like the Bengals, you know, this past year where it's like, well, we need a weapon or we yeah. need an offensive lineman or, it's very defined. Damn, we need a quarterback because we don't know what we're doing. Here it's a little bit different where you can kind of 
you know, you got to kind of trust your scouting and, and find best players available. Well, so yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of talented uh, pieces in this draft. And normally, Browns fans would be looking, you know, inside the top 10 to top 15 of some of these really sought-after prospects. You kind of got options. So I guess as we, you know, I guess let's look at what are their top three needs. We, we've said edge rusher, probably. So to get into their top three needs, call it a top need. I would say defense, defense, defense. It was a team that was very limited on defense. Obviously, a lot of injuries, um, you know, over the past couple of years, uh, you know, they're, they're playing a lot of high scoring games. Yeah, their second round pick, uh, you know, Grant Delpit towards Achilles, second round pick from the year before, Greedy Williams missed the entire year. So uh, we'll get to that in a second with the secondary, but I would say top i've kind of floated between these two so i would say you know 1a and 1b depending on where you want linebacker and defensive end kind of an outside linebacker defensive rush uh you know they're running a 4-2-5 we're, we're expecting under joe woods so linebacker don't have as many linebackers but they haven't really invested top you know top resources in a good linebacker um you know got a couple guys uh, Anthony Walker, who joined the group, who's good at tackling. Jacob Phillips, who was a draft pick, showed some some signs, but definitely could use a solid, you know, stalwart in the on the linebacking core. Mac Wilson has been kind of disappointing. Suni Takitaki's been up and down, and then also defensive end. Last year, you know, they were one of the top teams in pressuring, but very rarely got home. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett started off really well after COVID-19, which hit him really hard. He was less effective. Uh, did lose Olivier Vernon, who was a solid piece for him. But, of course, got, got Tars McKinley from uh, the Falcons for some depth. And then Jadavian Clowney, which was the big pick. Only on a one-year deal. You know, there are some questions about where he's at. Great run stopper, which is great. But needing some depth, I think, you know, he's probably going to need to rotate out more. McKinley out more. So if you have a young guy that can also help cause some havoc, that would be great. Yeah. So you've also, like we talked about on the show last week a little bit, I think one of the best pressuring defenses in the league, they just could not get it home. And so I think it, the Browns are in an interesting spot, especially if Woods wants to go to the nickelback, where you already had some depth issues last year at cornerback. You've got Garrett coming back. I, you'd have to think that Garrett's going to be his normal self after a year off from all the COVID stuff. An absolute stuff. insane person, you've yes. Got, you've got Ohio stalwart Andrew Billings in there. So I was going to say, we also, defensive tackle is kind of an interesting spot because we lost uh, a couple of our solid players. Of course, I said I was a big Larry Ogunjobi guy. You know, yeah. I think the Bengals got a great piece in him. Uh, Sheldon Richardson was a cap casualty. There have been some talks about him coming back. But right now, you know, you just have to guess that he's not coming back. You do have Andrew Billings, who sat out last year. Um, have a couple signings. Got a guy from the Eagles. But I think depth there is very slim, especially defensive tackles. You're rotating out a lot more. If you can find a solid defensive tackle, that's maybe where you want to go because there's a lot of depth issues Yeah, okay, there. so I, I was going to ask you, you know, that, that's kind of leading into my, like, new question for you is you've got Clowney, you've got Garrett, 
and you're kind of going to move away from the 4-3, that might sure up a little bit of depth, just moving to that 4-2-5 at linebacker. But you still, I feel like, moving to the nickel, going to need a lot of depth in your secondary. Would you rather see the Browns take a defensive tackle or or a linebacker or a, a guy in the secondary with their first pick? So I've also... You know, I my top three were linebacker, defensive end, defensive tackle, or, or secondary. So it's all defense. Um, you know, they have what almost amounts to, at least under Kevin Stefanski, basically four new faces. You know, they have Greedy Williams back, who basically who did not play on the field at all last year. Grant Delpit, who was hurt. Uh, you know, Youngstown native Troy Hill, who is you know projected as a nickel guy, and then uh, a solid safety in John Johnson the third who came over from the Rams. Rams had one of the best pass defenses. So they definitely have a lot of new faces, but I do think depth is an issue. You know, once again, they had another COVID-19 issue where, you know, they had ward out. But I think it's one of those things, you know, on defense where if you get great pass rush, then your corners don't have to cover quite as long. If you have great coverage, it allows your defensive line to get home. But... You know, if you have big gaps or someone that they can pick on, then I think it becomes an issue. So I think, you know, the big question for the Browns is I think they have to be, you know, very much stick to their plan, take the best guy available, don't try to, you know, very disciplined. I would yeah. say discipline and sticking to your sticking to your draft board is very important. If a guy, you know, because we'll get to my mock draft, but I, I did about five mock drafts, you know. Uh, Greg Newsom from from Northwestern, who is an awesome cornerback. You know the Ohio State fans know he played great against Ohio State in that um, in that Big Ten championship. If he falls a little bit down, not a bad idea because you know Greedy Williams, second year, but still some issues. You know um, MJ Stewart uh, was great against the Steelers, but who knows going forward? So I think there are a lot of questions where it's like you know a couple of these guys that we're expecting if they don't quite play up to where we think or if there are some injuries again you could really be worried at depth especially when you're trying to play you know either three safeties or three cornerbacks at any point and i trust denzel ward but you know if he's having to if he's hurt then you don't really have that lockdown corner on one spot and if you can find someone who you feel like you can lock down the other side then you're looking at a legion of boom and you're looking at yeah. even if they have five seconds, you know, these good quarterbacks are looking for receivers and then, oh, you're going to tell me that Clowney and Garrett can't get home in five uh, yeah, seconds? Yeah. Then it becomes this, a real scary ordeal for the rest of the AFC. That's kind of what I was getting at last week when we were talking about, we did the whole segment on how how Clowney affects the Browns' defense. I think that just adds a depth piece there. And now, like you said, if you can stay disciplined to your your board and everything, because the Browns are no longer one of those teams where it's like, all right, take the best available you know position player that there is. We've seen that offense be able to compete in those high-octane games, in those high-scoring games. That offense is plenty capable. But if you could... If you could stick to your draft board here, like you said, Greg, 
That'd be a nasty nickel defense. Yeah, I, I would say the only the only issue, my biggest issue with the secondary is, you know, obviously depending on how Woods plays it, is they did have some trouble against the rush. And you're going to need a strong defensive line, you know, especially if, if, if the Bengals go your way and increase their offensive line. Joe Mixon will probably be, you know, maybe back to closer to his normal self because they'll actually have blocking people. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Ravens. I don't think we really have to mention have an awesome running game. Uh, the Steelers, depending on who they get in the draft, could have some solid pieces along with the you know, along with some of the guys that they have. So fortifying the middle is definitely important. But also, once again, if you can force if you can force a team into being predictable or having to play the game your way, then they can run all they want if you know it's coming. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. We said discipline for the Browns, discipline to the board. The Browns are no longer, you know, one of those we need to, there's not going to be any booing in Cleveland off the stage of any of these quarterback picks. So, Greg, let's get into your mock draft. Let's, who you got here? So, you know, I've done some of these mock drafts, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, Greg Newsom falls. In this pro football focus, you know, there's some randomness. Like we had uh, in the one that that I did most recently, you know, Sewell got taken at four. So sometimes there's just some adjustments that you have to make. Uh, one of the guys I really like is Xavier Collins. He was taken early. He's a linebacker defensive end from uh, Tulsa, who being a big Cincinnati fan, saw him several times. Absolute monster. Uh, the top edge rusher, Quiddy Payne out of Michigan. If he somehow happens to fall, because everybody's going all these other different ways, you know, they're going crazy with quarterbacks or something. Could be a solid pick. Collins, uh, though, I mean, he's also got, he's kind of one of those uh, guys with hybrid ability, too, to play at multiple different positions. Um, not just outside linebacker, but can also, you know, be an interior rush presence as well. So some of those versatile players, I think, especially on defense, would help the Browns a lot. So, uh, just taking a look, you know, first pick at 26. Uh, the one guy that, that I ended up with who was kind of the best best player available was uh, Jalen Phillips, who was an edge rusher from uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, you know, there's him. There's also Gregory Rousseau, who got taken early in this one. Uh, both guys, great edge rushers. Didn't play together because I believe... Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I think Phillips sat out. And then Russo transferred and played the last year. Or no, I think it was Russo uh, Russo uh, sat out, and then Phillips was a transfer who played this year. So those two never played together, even though they're both Miami guys. But both game-breaking players. Once again, another solid edge rusher. If you can get a first-round graded edge rusher to add to the depth there, fantastic. Um, at 59, uh, once again, was looking for some linebackers, some some defensive linemen, stuff like that. Staying disciplined, taking the best, yeah, one of the best defensive right. guys available. Take Took Elijah Molden, uh, safety from Washington. Once again, you have a guy like Delpit coming off a of torn Achilles. You don't know how effective he's going to be. May need to kind of be in a backup role and get eased in. So a fragile injury to come back from. Yeah, you have him, uh, you know, at 59, Molden, I think, is a solid pick. Um, Browns have two picks in the third round, do some trades last year, 89 and 91. I took Jameen Davis, linebacker from Kentucky, uh, great linebacker. 
Uh, I took actually in the next round, took Coben Joseph, another cornerback from Kentucky. Kentucky had a pretty good defense last year, you know, that was able to keep them in the game with some offensive struggles. So uh, took those two guys. And then also once again at 91, maybe don't need another safety, but another guy to help add some depth into nickel. Uh, our Darius Washington, a safety from TCU. You know, you, you worry about those Big 12 guys, but a guy that, you know, was good in the time that he was in, you know, TCU's defense was actually very solid last year, so uh, a good player. Um, in the fifth round, finally got a defensive lineman a little bit later than what I wanted to, but it's a guy that in some of the mock drafts I, I'd taken, you know, 20 picks earlier. Uh, Milton Williams, who's a defensive lineman from Louisiana Tech, he's a big guy, absolute mauler. Yeah, in the I was middle. looking at him late. I was looking at him late too. I- absolute mauler yeah. down there. So uh, some he- of those late rounders, that big big dudes like him that also have the agility like there there's a few of those defensive tackles and linebackers late in the yeah he was one that i was thinking about that'd be a good pick another guy that you could add depth and maybe have him you know even if he is only playing you know so many snaps a game have him develop uh the only offensive player that i picked was in the sixth round josh palmer wide receiver from tennessee uh, once again, one of the best players available. Do need some wide receiver depth. Just another guy to, to help out, uh, actually, because they grade all your picks with my lowest rated pick. But I felt he slipped a little bit. We do need a little bit of wide receiver depth, so never a bad thing. Uh, took another linebacker, Ernest Jones, from uh, South Carolina in the seventh round. And then with my last pick, had to do it to him. Derek Forrest, safety, Cincinnati. I mean, the Bearcat defense was great. If you can get a guy in there that late who just knows how to play, knows how to put his head to the ball. Ball hawk, yeah, ball hawk. I took three safeties in this draft. But the thing is, if you can turn one of them into a nickel corner, once again, you're running a 4-2-5. So if you just get some of those guys in there to compete, the offense I feel great about. If there's a late you know, um, running back like a Chris Evans or a Puka Williams that maybe you can pick maybe to be like a specialist slash, you know, depth there behind the two-headed monster of, uh, you know, uh, Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Never a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, I believe they did lose Hill- Dontrell Hilliard this offseason. So a little bit of depth there, but, you know, pretty good at wide receiver, amazing at tight end, offensive line looks great. So at this point, sure up the defense however you can. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty exciting for the Browns fans, though, that you can sit in this draft, and I think those versatile guys that are, you know, the big playmaker guys, guys like on the Bearcats defense that are just very athletic playmakers and have that versatility to them, I think those picks for the Browns are very, very exciting. Browns fans are, I mean, this is... New this territory. Is, this is new, new territory ter- for them, and this is awesome. You get the draft in Cleveland and then get to do a draft like this where you get to kind of be excited about your long-term future. Yeah, and I mean, depending on who's there late in the first round, you know, if everybody that you're looking at, if you want to trade down, get some picks for the future, completely understand that. And, uh, and you got you to gotta stay disciplined, yeah. like we said, but you can kind of relax and enjoy the draft for once. Yeah, and I think it's I, I think you brought up the best point. You know, one is discipline, but also get guys that can do multiple things. If you got a guy that can play nickel corner, cornerback, or maybe safety or nickel corner, 
a guy like Collins, who I love that can play linebacker and edge rush. Maybe if, you know, you switch up defense, obviously these NFL teams run a couple different schemes. If you got to run an outside linebacker in there, maybe a four, three at some point, a guy that can do all those different things, having some guys with versatility to help keep offensive off, keep offenses off balance, help, you know, players get to the quarterback, cover well, just strengthen this defense enough that when the offense goes crazy, you don't have to be in, you know, that Ravens game that yeah. was, you know, 50-something yep. to 40-something. So if you can just get this defense a little bit better, they have a real shot to be special. They do. They do. They do. Uh, and it's going to be a special week in Cleveland. The draft happening Thursday. And the festivities are happening around the city. We'll get to one really cool festivity that you could participate in immediately up in Cleveland here in our What's Brewing, Ohio. Let's talk about what's brewing in Cleveland, Ohio. What's Keeping br- it in Cleveland. We're doing a little bit of draft beer for the NFL draft. Draft, yeah. We're having some draft for the draft. Sorry about that one. <laughs> What's booing? What's booing, Ohio? Uh, so this uh, this brewery establishment is over in the Case Western campus part of Cleveland, over where all the museums are. Absolutely beautiful part of Cleveland. Also, uh, a lot of uh, it's all beautiful. I don't know what you're talking about. Good, good, good Italian Cleveland neighborhood over there on the east side of Cleveland. And it's really not too far of a drive from the stadium and those festivities. But if you Cleveland fans up there know of the Jolly Scholar. Jolly Scholar. The Jolly Scholar is releasing a draft day IPA. Oh. And this is specifically on cans. Uh, And this is done all for the draft happening this Thursday. Cleveland with the 26th pick in the first rounds. Um, I appreciate the OhioCraftBeer.org pointing out Cincinnati fans uh, won't have to stay up very late to find out who their first-round pick is once again. Thank you for that note. But the Jollier Scholar is releasing the Draft Day IPA, and the can, Greg, you can write in who your pick will be. It's kind of a uh, very very Canton-esque kind of Hall of Fame can, and it's got like a little label on you. Um, and you and you can uh, send in your picks. Um, you can find out more about this at uh, facebook.com backslash Jolly Scholar. Get on the Jolly Scholar social media to learn more about this. But basically a great, great IPA, and you can make your draft pick right on the can. Take a pick and send it in. It's a cool way for Cleveland brewery fans to get in on the brewery madness and the draft madness with a little draft of their own. And hey, if you're if you're downtown in Cleveland, you can take the rapid right out to University Circle, enjoy the Jolly oh, yeah. Scholar, and then yeah. head right back into downtown to enjoy the rest of the draft festivities. So uh, be sure to be safe out there. Uh, you know, both drinking and driving in with the pandemic, but uh, a lot of amazing breweries out there yeah i mean so, I, so many good breweries especially west side near the market uh shout out to one of my favorites hansa over there just so much good beer if you happen to be up in cleveland for the draft be sure to have a few drafts of your own uh whether it's the jolly scholar uh 
you know, any of the breweries up there, or maybe uh, take a quick stop on the way up there at uh, Hoofhearted Brewing yeah. in Marengo, I Ohio. The, I, I believe the... it's uh, exit 140 you get off on. Wow, wow, throwing out the exit number. Look at this guy here. Look, I, that's, that's, so, that sounds about right, though. Yeah, there's the uh, there's the real men don't need porn sign. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, that's yeah, so yeah, you get off on that one. You I know you, the Ohio billboards. You turn, yeah, you turn left, uh, go up to sixty one, turn into sixty one two twenty nine, and then it's just over the highway on two twenty nine in Marengo. This guy's got your directions here, and yeah, guys, please enjoy. I know the weather's looking rough a little bit that first day, but that weekend's looking beautiful. Get out there, support, uh, safely support the local breweries in Cleveland. There's also a lot of other really cool beers getting released this week um, that you guys can read more about at ohiocraftbeer.org, particularly a uh, Holtman's Donuts beer down here in Cincinnati. So head to ohiocraftbeer.org to learn more about that. Uh, you can follow them at ohiocraftbeer on social media. We retweet some of their stuff and share brewery news as well on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at 30 Rack of Sports. Well, Josh, as we wrap up here, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening to uh, the special draft day edition of 30 Rack of Sports. Also, just shout out to all of our listeners. I know we've had some interesting shows, you know, uh, getting into some of the some of the deep dives into, you know, baseball, soccer, football. But those, you know, we're all, we're all learning here. So, uh, you know, great to hear some of the responses. People, people learn a little bit more about some sports that they're not into. Obviously, football is a big sport, so, uh, you know, happy to hear about that. As we mentioned, next week we'll be back on our regular bullshit talking about everything going on in Ohio. All the sports. And yelling at Zach about it. So uh, shout out to all of the listeners, as well as shout out to uh, our friends at Hoofhearted Brewing. Uh, they're, everybody wants some double IPA, uh, fantastic beer. Uh, you, you know, we suggest all these beers, but this is... One that if you happen to be in the area, I think it's definitely one to try just because yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's such a unique beer. Definitely try it if you see it out there. Uh, also, as we always mention, our social at 30 Rack of Sports, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you happen to be around and you're like, hey, I love this brewery. 30 Rack's never tried this brewery. Or I love this beer. And maybe 30 yeah. Rack's never had this beer. Reach out to us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're always looking for new beers. When we're, I mean, when you have to find a new beer every week, Does especially a lot of different times. brewery. There have been certain times where you know I'm on the phone with Josh on like a Saturday night at whatever liquor store or Jungle Gyms or yeah. whatever, being like, "Hey, have we had this brewery? Have we had this brewery? Right. Have it's we had tough this beer?" Sometimes you know we don't get to branch out as much, and we don't. The three of us don't travel around the state as much as we used to pre-pandemic. So a lot of times we're scouring different stores down here i was happy we could find one from uh morango morango ohio so yeah Marengo. if any of our listeners that you know aren't in the cincinnati area if there's any place you know if there's your your local woolly pig whether it be in you know southeast northwest northeast ohio let us know we'll find it we'll find a way to get the beer so uh and Once know, again, reach out to us, 30 Rack Sports. Know who you got on social media this week. Since we're doing the special episode, we won't have any uh, uh, pick game picks, at least, for you. But we will still have some polls on draft picks, and we'll be sending out some draft preview videos as well. So we'll be looking for those yeah. on our socials. Some polls on the picks. Uh, you know, 
who you got for the picks and uh, are you happy with the picks yeah, next, or not? Next week, I'll try and come with a, uh, a who you got standings for us to see how each of us are doing our records on our picks as well as you, the fans, your, uh, the listeners' picks, how they're doing as well. So, yeah, let us, uh, we'll figure out all of that and we'll get into more sports uh, next week. But of course, draft week, especially in Cleveland takes over all the news like we said it's always football season so uh before we get out of here uh first off just want to cheers zach uh originally had a scheduling conflict but instead uh you know has to deal with a with some sick children so uh you know uh we're hopeful for for zach that uh, everything's good and uh he'll be back because it's just not the same when we can't uh, viciously attack zach and his terrible takes yes cheers to good good health for them and hope everything's good back at the homestand so, uh, Josh, aside of, uh, you know, the, the viewers, the beer, and our co-host, who else are you cheers in? Do you have any final cheers for the show? Uh, I do. I have a final cheer, and you might laugh at this one, Greg, and other fans might laugh at me as well for this one. Uh, I'm going to raise a glass to Amir Garrett. Uh, Amir Garrett, as any baseball fan knows, has been absolutely terrible. Um, just awful in is the, the relief. ERA still over ten. It's sixteen something, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, sixteen some ERA. Um, he's had some he's had some bad luck defensively in some spots, but like the, the release point, I think, is Passed all over down the thirteen fifty. Okay, the release point, I think, is what's really killing him right now. He just doesn't have his confidence, as a Reds reporter, C. Trent Rosecrans pointed out on the radio broadcast the other day. We've seen Amir. But Amir always talks about his alter ego, AG, on the mound, and I don't think we've seen that yet. But I just wanted to raise a glass to him because Amir, you know, he talks a lot. He has a lot of opinions. He puts himself out there, and he continues to make himself available in that way. And he was the first one to say that these losses are on me. I'm not doing a good enough job right now. And when you talk a lot of game like that, it's easy to, you know, shut up and stop that when things aren't going well. But, you know, he he lives up to that talk. In I know he's not backing up that talk with his game right now, but some of the other social issues that he speaks on. Guy takes a lot of heat on a lot of levels right now. And the way he's dealing with it, I just wanted to... Reds fans, take it easy. It's just April. We've seen a five-game streak and a six-game streak in one month. We've got a lot of months to go. I mean, the whole league, We, Greg and I were talking about before the show, the whole league seemed to do like a complete 180 from the first two weeks of the season to the, sec- the last two weeks of the season. Seems to be just a complete roller coaster so far. So everybody pump the brakes, everybody relax, and AG, you'll get it, man. And as a... Uh... You know, just taking a look at at Garrett's stats, you know, he's a guy that has about a five career ERA, but in his last two years when he's kind of, when AG has kind of come out, in 90 games, he has a 3-0-3 ERA. So that's more of the Amir Garrett that we're used to, not quite the 10 plus more runs per game that he's averaging right now. So we'll get back. We'll we'll be interesting to see if uh, the Reds can get Amir Garrett back to being AG because they certainly need it miss him greg you got a a toast for us uh yeah i just got a quick shout out uh you know like to keep things light but just man prayers out to uh to chris weidman uh any of the ufc fans out there uh saw it 
uh, last night, uh, you know, during a fight, uh, threw a leg kick and basically got his leg snapped in half. He was the same guy that actually had checked the leg kick uh, a couple years before and had done the same thing to Anderson Silva, now part of two of the most grotesque injuries as far as, I've, you know, that I've seen. The guy, his leg just turns to jello. It's nasty. But, it's nasty. Uh, you know, you could see um, the guy he was fighting against just, you know, just well up and, like, it. you know, he felt terrible. I mean, it was just a normal check. There was nothing dirty about it, but... Just well up. He had to be flipped over, taken out on a uh, you know on a stretcher and everything to try to stabilize the legs. So just hopeful that he's okay. You know, in all these sports, you you know you think of them as larger than life people, and then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you see Joe Burrow with that giant you know that, that giant leg scar. scar. You've seen you know guys like Gordon Hayward that have had some you know tough yeah. injuries. Uh, so. For these leg injuries like that, you just hope for the best, and you know, hope to see him back on, you know, back in the octagon because he's certainly a uh, a fun guy to watch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, we also had some feel good stuff this week in baseball too. I forgot Tatis hitting the two home runs against Bauer last night, and then he also the night previously what hit the two home runs year to the day after his dad many years to the day that his father two years to the day 22 that years two Fernanda, grand slams yeah two grand slams hit. in the same game both at dodger stadium so uh on the 23rd fernando tatis 1999 hits two grand slams uh his son this year hits two grand slams or two home runs in a game the next day tatis also homered again on the 24th and then Tatis Jr. with another two home runs on the 24th. So just a little fun, you know, father-son, uh, one of the bright young faces yeah. in baseball. You love and to see that stuff, man. Just as a cheers, you know, you see a lot of uh, former – you know, you see uh, Trevor Bauer and then playing over, you know, Mike Clevenger, former Indian, is uh, he's dealing with Tommy John, but he'll be back. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my favorite Cubs players in, in you, Darvish, is over there right now. But just that – Padres Dodgers series is an absolute joy to oh watch. Oh my gosh, man, it's, that has it's, been so fun. It's it's the best in baseball. So if you get a chance, uh, you know, obviously this will come out Monday, so you won't get to see Sunday night baseball between them. But the next time those guys match up, appointment till yeah, we got so. what like five more, four or five more series. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's great, man. And then you also had Boba Shett. Uh, he hit uh, one over the monster in Fenway the other day, and the ball landed in one of those Gold's gyms, and that very same Gold's gyms is where his parents had met 30 years ago. So just a lot of like really cool, just like baseball, baseball awesome, father awesome son feel good stories this week, and a lot to uh, some lighter notes to end on there, Greg. But you know what the best feel good story is, right, Josh? Hoof hearted brewing in Marengo. That and. We will be back next week hey. to wrap everything up in sports here on 30 Rack. Another episode coming at you next Tuesday. Be sure to check out our social media at 30 Rack Sports, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For Josh on the ones and twos. See ya. For Zach not here. Bow, 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 bow. Ohio State. I'm Greg. Thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack Sports.